Good morning, everyone. How are you guys? That was weak. How are you? You good? Man, happy 4th of July. I became a U.S. citizen a couple years ago, and so this uh, day means a ton to me personally, and just so grateful for our freedoms, so grateful that we get to live in this nation, and I'm grateful and honored that I get to come back and, and share with all of you today. You guys have the most beautiful sanctuary on earth. Uh, it's incredible. What a, what a view. And what a day we have right now to just orient our heart around Scripture, and I'm just thankful uh, to come in and fill in for my, my good friend, Matt. We go way back to the Vanuatu days. I'm sure you've heard the Vanuatu stories. Matt and I, we shared a hut together, and so now we kind of get to share a pulpit or stage or whatever this thing is together. So, hey, if you have a Bible, if you want to grab it and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4, we're going to talk about something today that is really challenging, but I think is really liberating on this day of freedom. Here is a very practical way that our souls can be free, and it's, it's a tough thing to learn. Uh, I was talking to a number of people afterwards, and it's like, yeah, this is really the key. It's the key to everything. Uh, but it's one of the most challenging things to try and apply to our life. So, Father, I pray today that your spirit would just speak to us. I pray that your word would take root in our heart. I thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for the elders and leaders, for Matt as he just gets a little time to be with his family. Would you bless him, Lord? Thank you for the way he's just leading this church and loving this community. And, Lord, we just uh, pray your blessing and favor on him. And we pray, Lord, you meet us in this place as we talk about contentment. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let's dive in. Philippians 4, verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, when Paul wrote these words, he wasn't in the Bahamas soaking up the sun. He wasn't sipping on an oat milk latte in some boutique coffee shop. He was on death row. He was in prison. Caesar Nero had it out for him. His death was imminent. And you got to keep in mind this context when you read these verses that he wrote. I mean, it gives it weight and substance and gravitas. He says, in this place of incredible anxiety and uncertainty, I have learned the secret of being content. If you're a note taker, you may want to just jot down this word content. It's a fascinating word. In the original language in the Greek, it's artarkis, artarkis, and it was used in the ancient world in, in the first century, in the Greco-Roman culture, by the Stoics. Now, you've probably heard about the Stoics. Stoicism was probably the most prominent, prevalent philosophy of that day. And what the Stoics taught about contentment is that contentment is found in self-sufficiency. That the Stoics, they said, if you want to be content, then you need to courageously stand up to the meaninglessness of the universe. You need to 
be unmoved in the face of life's hardship and pain. In fact, probably the world's most famous Stoic, a guy by the name of Marcus Aurelius, this is what he said, quote, if you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimation of it. Then he said, you have the power to revoke it at any moment. I read that. I thought, man, that sounds like something you'd read at a Barnes and Noble self-help section or a really motivational, inspirational Netflix miniseries. And it's kind of the, I don't know, the ethos of our age. We live in a time where you're told, just you be you, you can do it, just believe in yourself and you can get through anything. Not a whole lot has changed. 2,000 years ago, this is what the Stoics thought. And yet Paul, he takes the same word and he completely flips it on its head. (laughs) He takes the same idea, the same concept that they talked about a lot, and yet he reveals to us that the root of contentment isn't in ourself. Look to yourself, believe in yourself, trust in yourself, you be you. No, Paul is talking about a contentment that is rooted in Jesus. Here's the key difference. The Stoics, they advocated independence from others. Just be alone. And yet Paul is talking about a radical dependence upon Jesus. He says, look, I I have found something so beautiful, so life-changing, so life-altering. It's radically transformed how I see life, how I do life. In fact, I can be sitting here in chains awaiting my death sentence, and yet I'm still learning this lesson of being content. I have learned the secret. And I want to argue this morning that contentment, whether we realize it or not, it's actually something that in our hearts we all ache for. It's something we all long for intuitively. Okay, thought experiment. Let's say that you win a two-week prize to the destination of your dreams. Let's say it's the Bahamas. You get to go there first class. You're picked up by an Audi that whisks you away, takes you to this amazing resort, And you just have everything at your fingertips, world-class restaurants and entertainment. They fly in chefs from all over the world. They wait on you hand and foot. Two weeks of luxury. But here's the catch. In this first option, yeah, it's two weeks of luxury, but you're going to be perpetually miserable. In fact, it's going to be the most miserable two weeks of your life. You're going to feel down, discouraged, depressed, anxious, and discontent. Okay, so you have that option. Paradise, but you're really miserable. (laughs) Option two is you get to spend two weeks in a Siberian prison cell. It's 40 below. They feed you rice and beans once a day. It's horrible. But here's the catch. During those two weeks, you've never been more happy and content and full of peace in your life. You'll look back at that period of your life and you'll say, man, something happened there. It was absolutely life-changing. God met me in that place. It was so beautiful. I learned lessons there that I'll never forget. Now, if you had the choice between option A, you're in paradise, luxury, but you're miserable, or option B, you're in a prison cell, but you're filled with more incredible joy than you've ever had in your life, which one would you choose? You're like Bahamas any day. Um, (laughs) I think most of us, we, we recognize in that like, oh, I think what I, what I value more, what I desire more is, isn't more stuff. It isn't more luxury. It isn't more resorts. What, what I'm longing for is I, I want to learn the secret of contentment because that's everything. 
That, that's life. That's what shapes our soul. That's what changes us and transforms us. Contentment is something that we all value. And I, I would argue it's something that even those who don't know Jesus, they're searching for, they're longing for. Why is that? I think it's because of how God made us. You look at Genesis, how the world began. He places Adam and Eve in a garden, and they had everything. (laughs) They had the presence of God. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. There was no sin. There was no struggles. There was no heartache. There was no issues. They, they, They could just be at peace. God created us to live life that way. And even though they didn't have all the modern conveniences that we all enjoy today, never was humanity more at peace than in that moment. Now, sad to say, that story didn't last long because only a couple chapters later, they ate of the tree and then you have evil and sin and injustice and brokenness and all these things in the world today, boy bands, all all these things just suddenly come into the world and and the, the world was broken, the world was flawed. But God created us, God designed us to be in a place of contentment with him. We were made for it. Deep, deep down, what you're longing for, what I'm craving for, is not more stuff, more gadgets, bigger houses, more money. Deep down, I read these verses from Philippians 4, and you're like, yeah, I am longing for the secret of contentment. We live in a world that is constantly feeding us the opposite message. We live in a world that we're constantly being pitched the latest product, the latest image. We're being told through the advertising industry that we don't measure up, that we always need more. We're guinea pigs in this industry that feeds off our discontent. That's how companies make money. They want to make you feel discontent so that they can sell you something. And here's the irony that when it comes to material wealth, we actually have more than any other nation on earth. In fact, We have more here in the United States, more than any other nation in the history of earth. And yet we are profoundly discontent. Time magazine, just a few months ago, they put out an article and they said that only 33% of Americans feel content and happy. So two thirds of us say, I'm discontent. I'm looking for the next thing that's going to satisfy the longings of my soul. The Andrew author, uh, uh, the author Andrew Davis, he put it this way. It's a great quote. He said, we're surrounded by discontented people every minute of the day. It is possible to see evidence of this restless discontentment in the way people respond to circumstances. People show their discontent while driving. That's definitely true up in Portland because the traffic's too slow or perhaps the weather's too hot, too rainy, too humid. Or in these jobs, people aren't making enough money or receiving enough credit for the hard work they're putting in, or they can't stand their coworkers. People feel deeply disappointed with their marriage or with how their children are turning out. Their bodies are too fat or not beautiful enough. Mired in their discontent, people often buy things they don't really need to improve their outlook on life. Why is that? I think one reason is because we've associated short-term happiness with long-term contentment. There's a website that someone told me about a couple years ago called happier.com. And the whole premise is, here's how you can be happy. I'm like, I want to be happy. Go to happier.com. So I, I check it out. And right on the front page is an article, how you can be content and fulfilled. I'm like, yes, 
I click on that thing, five easy steps to being happy and fulfilled. And here they are, happier.com. Step one, be in possession of the basics, food, shelter, health, safety. Step two, get enough sleep. Step three, have relationships that matter. Step four, take care of yourself. Step five, have work that interests you. And the whole premise of this article and this website is, man, you just do these things, you get these things, you acquire these things, and you're going to be content. But here's the problem, is that, well, what does that mean for the three billion in our world who only live on $2 a day? According to happier.com, they don't have the possibility of being content or fulfilled or happy. And yet we all know that some of the happiest people, the most fulfilled and contented people you'll know, you'll ever meet, are, are, are those who don't have the same stuff that we have. You know, I mentioned earlier, Matt and I, we first got to know each other in a hut in Vanuatu, which, by the way, it's a really good place to get to know someone. And uh, Matt, you know, I, back, back then, getting to know him, I'm like, wow, he's the real deal. Like, you guys have an amazing pastor, by the way. I think one of the best teachers around today. And I, I got to see him in Vanuatu, how the Lord just was, was honing him, preparing him, and, and crafting the skills that, that God had given him, his leadership skills. But I remember there in Vanuatu, the church that was supporting us, they, they let us know, they're, they're like, we're sending you a laptop which was a big deal in the late 90s. Not everyone had laptops. And it was a really big deal in a country, in a place where, where we're living in the, in the jungle. There's no electricity. There's no running water. <laughs> Super primitive. It was like stepping into a National Geographic special. We're like, this is going to be amazing. So Matt and I, we got this uh, power generator. And the laptop arrived. We fire up the generator. We turn it on. And it's this old Windows computer, so it took like 45 minutes just to turn on. But, <laughs> but then it makes the sound. And, and we're like, okay, we got we to tell the guys about this. Because there's these guys, college-age guys, that came from all over the country. And they'd spend a year with us going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We're like, they're going to be blown away by this new technology. We would go to these villages and places where they would actually name their kids based on the latest technology. And we go into some of these deeper uh, places in the jungle. And the latest technology, seriously, was a saucepan. I, I met a kid whose name was Saucepan, because his parents named him after that, because that was like the cutting-edge technology. So you can imagine, we're thinking like, whoa, okay, a laptop, they're going to be absolutely blown, they're going to be so impressed with this. Gather everyone together, we turn it on, they're all watching this, it's probably 20 or 30 of them. And <laughs> Matt was showing them the different things it could do, that I get on there and I, I show them a Word document or whatever, and I could just tell that they weren't really buying it, like I, I could tell they weren't all that impressed. And they were patient. They're watching it. And finally, one guy raises his hand. I'll never forget it. He's like, hey, Dominic, can you hunt with it? I'm like, no. Can you fish with it? No. Can you cook with it? No. And then they kind of talk to each other for a while. And they're like, what good is it? And, and they just got up and they left. You know, here's this thing that I, I thought was so impressive. And they're like, you know what? We're just content. We're content with what we have. There's something there. Man, I want to learn that. I, I want to learn this lesson of just like, okay, Lord, you've given me family. You've given me opportunity. You've, you've given us this incredible place we get to live. Well, why is it that two-thirds of us are discontent? Why is it that two-thirds of us were so miserable? How can we learn this lesson? That's what I want to share with you guys today. Three thoughts on what the Bible has to say about learning the secret 
of contentment. How did Paul discover the secret of contentment and, and how can we? The first one is actually found a few verses earlier where Paul talks about giving thanks to God in all things so that the peace of God which passes understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The secret of contentment, number one, is found when we practice gratitude. This is so practical, so simple, and yet this is really hard, at least for me, to do. Contentment is the awareness that each moment you have, this moment right now, the breath in your lungs, your heart that's beating in your chest, time in community and worship, later on, time with family, a good cup of coffee, the laughter of friends, later on tonight, celebrating 4th of July. Do you guys have fireworks down here? Okay, they've kind of, I think they, have they banned it everywhere in Oregon? Go to downtown Portland, there'll probably be fireworks tonight. Um, <laughs> and they'll allow it, no big deal. Um, but gratitude is just like, you know, I, I'm just going to be grateful for the little stuff. I'm going to be grateful for the people God has put in my life. I'm going to be grateful for my spouse. I'm going to be grateful for my kids. I'm, I'm going to be grateful for my, my parents. I'm going to be grateful for God's provision. It's the little things. You choose gratitude in the little stuff. And what happens, the Bible teaches us, it will reorient our perspective. It will actually diminish anxiety. It's going to cause contentment to grow. In fact, neuroscientists, this is amazing. Their world of science, by the way, is catching up to the Bible. And in neuroscience, they're saying, actually, when you practice contentment, it has a very real physiological effect upon your body and a neurological effect upon your mind. Here's one article I was reading a few weeks ago. They said, gratitude produces emotional energy. So every time you just mouth, thank you. Thank you to a person. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the little stuff. Every time you say thank you, it produces an emotional energy that creates in your brain new neural pathways. And those new neural pathways, the more that you practice it, it actually physically changes the way that your brain interacts with the world. And it causes you to become more aware, this is huge, of the good things in your life and less distracted and discouraged by the bad things in your life. So it actually helps train your mind to see things in a whole new way. Instead of just focusing on what's wrong, what's messed up, what's broken, what you're frustrated with, you can rewire your brain, science is saying, in such a way that you actually see life and see the world through a whole new set of glasses. Now you compare that to its opposite, discontent. When you're chronically upset about something, when you're chronically just spouting off about something. It's called Facebook, right? You're just always going off on something. What does that do for your soul? Number one, it's going to rob you of the beauty of what you do have because you're looking past what the Lord has given you and you're always wishing for something else and it makes you frustrated by what you don't have. Kierkegaard, he was a Danish philosopher and he has this book called Works of Love. It's a fascinating read, kind of an intense read. But in that book, he, he gives this fascinating illustration. He said there were two artists who were commissioned to go paint a portrait of someone beautiful. 
But these two artists, they went about it in two radically different ways. The first artist, he's like, you know, if I'm going to find someone beautiful to paint, I need to find someone who's worthy of what I consider to be beauty. And so I'm going to spend the next five, 10 years of my life, I'm going to travel around the world. I'm going to go to different cities and place, places, and I'm going to try and find that beautiful person. After five, 10 years, he comes back to his village, and he had no painting because in his mind, there wasn't anyone who met that standard of beauty. The other artist, he stayed home, and he had no problem finding someone beautiful to paint because he saw the beauty in everyone. And how many times in our life we look past what we have right here? We fail to see the beauty in our family, in our spouse, in our church community, in our country, in the little stuff, in the big stuff too. And because of that, we're, we're looking elsewhere, looking elsewhere, and you will never find it. The grateful person, the one who, like Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content, slows down, takes a deep breath, steps back, and realizes, oh, I have beauty right in front of me, and I've missed it. I spent so many years looking for something else, someone else, a new house, or a new spouse, or whatever, and because of that, I've missed what God has given me Now, gratitude is the art of seeing the beauty of this moment. Sarah Brechner, she said, gratitude bestows reverence, allowing us to encounter everyday epiphanies, those transcendent moments of awe that change forever how we experience life and the world. Number two, this one is really hard. (laughs) How can I learn the secret of being content? Number two, contentment is a treasure that's discovered in hard times. Paul, he says, I've learned the secret of being content. And by the way, he's not bragging here. He's like, I found it. You haven't. Look what I found. Too bad for you. No, he's saying the reason he calls it a secret is because it's hard to find, right? Contentment doesn't jive with our restless human nature. It's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow morning naturally, just like, I am the most content person on earth. Now, you might feel that way for 15 minutes after your fifth cup of coffee, but most of us, this is something that really just, it's tough to learn. It takes time and discipline and thoughtful, intentional choices and choosing the way of Jesus. And here's the part I don't like, is that contentment often is discovered in the soils of pain. I can't remember if I shared this with you a few months ago, but man, this last year has just been really challenging for for my family. My mother-in-law, super healthy, 64 years old, mother-in-law died on Christmas Day, and that was just so, so hard for for my wife. Um, And it wasn't long after that, my wife had a spontaneous lung collapse and spent several... uh, um, weeks in the emergency up in, in Portland and a couple different operations and uh, just really tough. And there, there are different points. We're wondering, like, is she going to make it? It was really, really challenging. And I remember one day sitting by her side, she just come, come out of this other operation. Uh, they're trying to fix her lung, trying to figure out what's going on. And every breath for my wife was just agony. Like literally every breath, just she's weeping. And I was there when she gave birth and she was like, a trooper. She's like one of the strongest people I know. And here she is just trying to breathe. She's like, this is actually worse than giving birth. The pain that she was experiencing in that moment. 
And I've talked to her about this. Like, she says, one of the things that I've seen through this is I'm so grateful just for little stuff. She said, just to be able to breathe again is like the most amazing thing. Isn't it interesting how we often don't learn that lesson of contentment till things are ripped from us? You lose someone. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You go through some heartache or heartbreak or breakup. And in that process, you realize like, oh, there were so many things that I took for granted that I didn't even know until those things are no longer with me. Gratitude comes when we see the goodness of God in the blessings that we have right now. And sometimes God teaches us that lesson. Life teaches us that lesson when we go through things, when there's loss, when there's heartache, when there's some issue. We realize in that moment, oh, Lord, you are my shepherd. It's in the valley of the shadow of death. We realize, Lord, when you're my shepherd, I lack nothing. There is everything that I need in you. My hope doesn't have to be in those things or in that situation or in that relationship or that job. My hope ultimately is in you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let everything that's in me bless his holy name. But that's a tough lesson. You know, a few years ago, I had a chance to speak at a church in the South. I love, I love speaking in the South because they're just like so rowdy <laughs> and it's so much fun. And like virtually anything you say, the congregation will, will speak back to you. And I, I heard a story when I was there, this, this pastor, he was preaching to his congregation and, and he, he made this statement. He said, this church like Lazarus needs to rise up and walk. And they're like, oh, glory, let it walk, pastor, let it walk. And then he said, in this church, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, needs to rise up and run. They're like, amen. Let it run, pastor. Let it run. And this church, he said, like the eagle, it needs to fly. And they're like, let it fly, pastor. Let it fly. And then he said, and this church, if it's going to fly, it's going to take some money. (laughs) And they're like... Let it walk, pastor. Let it walk. (laughs) You know, sometimes the Lord has to strip away our perspectives, our selfishness, our greed, our materialism, our distraction by things. And the way he allows that to happen is he says, I'm going to take you through things. Contentment is a treasure. It's a secret that you discover in hard times, it makes you more aware, more grateful for the blessing and joy of life, even in the little things. Which leads me to, I think, the most important point of all. Contentment is rooted in Jesus. The source of our contentment is him. And that's what we've all found, isn't it? That when things are shaken, when we go through stuff like we did this last year, nationally, when there's uncertainty, we realize my hope is no longer in these things. My hope, Lord, is in you. You are the source of my contentment. You know, C.S. Lewis, he wrote this amazing book uh, called Surprised by Joy. Have any of you read, by the way, have any of you read Surprised by Joy? Okay, a few of you hand. 
Check it out if, if you can. It's an amazing book because in that book, C.S. Lewis, he shares his own autobiography and how he discovered Jesus. And one of the things he discovered is that he's like, before, before I knew Jesus, I was trying to find contentment in things. Now, keep in mind, C.S. Lewis is like this brilliant guy. So it generally had to do with like really intellectual stuff. And so when he was a teenager, he discovered Icelandic sagas, a genre of literature based in Iceland. And he got so into it. He's like, man, this is what it's all about. And he said, I used to binge on it. He'd spend all his time reading Icelandic sagas. And then he's like, well, that's not enough. I need to read them in the original language. And so he learned Old Norse language just so he could read Icelandic sagas. I mean, can you imagine if that was, you know, our, I have a six-year-old daughter. Can you imagine if like our 16-year-olds were like, man, I'm going to learn Old Norse. Now it's like, I don't know, Fortnite, Pokemon Go, whatever, right? Times have changed. But he's like, this is, this is what I'm all about. And, but what he found, he shared this in Surprised by Joy, is like, the more I went down that path and the more I thought those things would give me contentment, he realized it, it, it's not bringing me contentment. So he'd move to something else. He'd get into relationships and then he'd find himself emptied. It's time at the pub with friends, but that didn't satisfy the longing that was in his heart. This is what he said. It's a beautiful statement from Surprised by Joy. The books or music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. Those things are good images of what we really desire, but if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols. In other words, hey, you can find joy in, in, in the blessings that he's given you, but don't think it's going to satisfy the longings in your heart. Those idols will break the hearts, he said, of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. Lewis, for years, contentment was just outside of his grasp. But what he came to discover is that the secret of contentment, it's not more things, more experiences, more relationships, more money, more Icelandic sagas, whatever. He found my contentment is in God. And as he gave his life to Jesus, he realized what, what I'm really longing for is to know him, to be near him, to hear his voice, to know his heart, to have a relationship with him. And brothers and sisters, that is what every single one of us is longing for as well. I, it's why we're here. We're here because there's something in us that realizes I'm never going to find contentment in pursuing the American dream. I'm never going to find contentment in putting my hope in some system. I'm never going to put my, never find contentment in some politician. Never going to find contentment in, in whatever sin you're, you're into because you think it's going to gratify you. you. You all know it only leaves you more empty. Like the woman at the well, you've come to discover that the only source of your soul's longing is Jesus. And Jesus said, if you come to me and drink of me, you will never thirst again. And if you're here this morning and you know that you've been on a journey of trying to find contentment, and you're sitting here hearing this message and there's been this restlessness in your heart, the searching in your heart because you're trying to find the answer. Today, Jesus offers you himself. He says, come to me. 
and you will find rest for your soul. Come to me, and you'll find the one that your heart is longing for. Come to me, and there will be contentment instead of restlessness, peace instead of anxiety, hope instead of discouragement. Everything that you're longing for is found in Jesus. And today, we put our eyes on him, we eat of him, we drink of him, we remember him in communion, we worship him, because he is the only one who's going to satisfy our heart's soul. We have found the secret of contentment, and it's in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you grab your communion, and let's all stand together. Um, We're going to eat and drink and remember what Jesus did for us. And I don't know about you, but man, whenever, whenever I'm in the word, whenever I read these things, it's like part of me is so deeply convicted because I know that I have so far to go. I know, thank you, I know all the ways that I have failed in this. But here's the good news. There's grace, Right? Man, I, I've been discontent. I haven't been grateful. I haven't been looking to Jesus, but there's grace. Jesus, he took bread and he broke it. He took a cup and he said, now take and eat in remembrance of me. And before he did, he said, he gave thanks, it says in the Gospel of Luke. He gave thanks. You know that word thanks in, in Luke? It means, in the Greek, it's eucharisto. It's where we get our English word for eucharist. Whenever you eat and drink, Whenever you give thanks, you are literally practicing gratitude. That's why I love what you guys do. Every week, you're taking communion. You're remembering Jesus. You're putting these things into practice. You're receiving grace. You know, when my daughter was three years old, uh, do you guys remember Thomas the Tank Engine, that toy? She was like really into Thomas the Tank Engine until one day, three years old, we're playing together and there was some kind of drama between her and Thomas and she grabbed Thomas and threw him across the room. I'm like, sweetie, you can't do that. And so, I'm, you know, as a parent, I'm trying to teach, turn this into a teachable moment. And so I pick up my daughter. I'm like, because you did that, you shouldn't show anger that way, sweetie. Because you did that, I'm going to give you a timeout. Now, my daughter, Amelia, 16 now, she's like such a raging extrovert. So even at the age of three, a timeout was her version of emotional purgatory. She hated timeouts. And so we're walking up the stairs together, and I'm holding her. And she's like, I could just tell her mind is racing. Like, how do I get out of this? And then she grabbed me. And at that time, I was a pastor in Hawaii. Not a bad place to pastor. She grabbed me, grabbed my face, and she turned it towards her so that my eyes were about an inch from her. And with this, like, intense voice and her eyes just staring at me, she said, but daddy, what about grace? What about grace? And I stopped in my tracks. I'm like, what do I do with that? Like, she had me. I was a pastor. I talked about grace every week. It's like, what about grace? What about grace? The good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, there is this thing called grace. Amen? We can receive grace right now. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you that he is the source of our contentment. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters Lord, they found their source of contentment in you. Their longing 
is in you. Their eyes are on you. And Lord, in the ways that we failed, in the ways that we've been looking to things or people or stuff to satisfy us, we just let that go right now. And we receive you, the only one who can satisfy the longings of our soul. And so you took bread and you broke it. You took a cup and you blessed it. You said, eat and drink. Give thanks. That's what we're doing. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. You are our satisfaction. You are our contentment. Let's eat and drink together.